series called Monsters. And the, the, the idea is that monsters do exist, not under our bed, not in our head, but in our heart. And, and monsters have several things in common, right? They are unpredictable. They create fear. They, they create chaos wherever they go. Uh, monsters can destroy your home. They can destroy the workplace. They can destroy a church. And so we're looking at different monsters. And again, we're not trying to focus out. We're trying to focus inside to see where we're at. And our, we have like a literal monster mash kind of thing going on inside our, our heart. Um, 1931, I believe, the Universal came out with their movie, The Mummy. And this, this movie was remade in 99. Uh, it spurred all kinds of sequels, The Mummy, This Mummy, That Mummy, The Other Thing. But in the original, um, Imhotep's mummy is uh, revived when some archaeologists in 1921 come upon it as they're doing their digs. Imhotep was an Egyptian priest who got himself in some trouble with the pharaoh because he was caught trying to resurrect his forbidden lover, the princess. When he put his agenda above the pharaoh's agenda, the, the king's agenda, he was living for himself, he got himself into some trouble. So they mummified him alive. They buried this guy alive. And so for thousands of years, he just kind of hung out in his sarcophagus. Uh, all the other priests are doing their thing, but he's kind of tied up, you might say. He was not able to join them. He was kind of wrapped up in himself, uh, the mummy. Now, there are mummy Christians, and this is where I kind of move from the plot a little bit, because mummy Christians are dangerous, but they're dangerous not because of what they do, but because of what they don't do. Let me give you a, an, an example. Several years ago, I uh, was at, not, not this church, I was at uh, another church, and a couple called me up. They wanted to meet for counseling. Okay, that, that's fine. Do that on occasion. Um, never heard of these people before, though. And so they, they, but they wrote down, you know, that they had been here, that they attended regularly. So, oh, okay. So, Trying to figure out who I was meeting with, though, I asked. No one in the office had ever heard of these people. No one knew. We checked our records, everything from our attendance records to our giving records to our small group records to our serving records. Nothing. These people did not exist as far as anybody in the church knew. So I thought, well, you know, maybe they just have been coming the last couple of weeks, or maybe they put down they tend here regularly, which is like once a year, and so nobody just knows who they are. So they, they sat down, we were talking, and I said, uh, so how long have you been coming? And they said, oh, we've been coming regularly now for several years. I said, really? And so, I backed, so I'm trying to backpedal and make all these excuses why I, I never met them and didn't know them. And they said, no, 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 no. Well, see, we like it that way. We have opted for non-voluntary participation. I've never heard this phrase before, non-voluntary participation. Uh, okay, what you, they, say, they said, we, we, you know, we breeze in at the last possible minute. We sit in the very back, and then during the last song, we kind of blow out, and we don't leave a paper trail. You know, the, 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 the deal is we don't want our name on any mailing lists. We don't want our name on any lists. We don't want any friends. We don't anyone, anyone, anyone even asking us to do something, to help out, to give something. We're, we're not, we like church light. You know, that was the thought. That was the idea. Mommy Christians. Mommy Christians uh, 
have all of the, their, their mind is preoccupied with personal matters. Mummy Christians, their, their energies are all expended on personal matters. Their mummy Christians, their crazy busy schedule is crazy busy with personal matters. Their, their creativity and their, their, their heart and their, their concern are, they're all wrapped up around personal matters. They're all wrapped up in themselves. They don't have any time or energy for anything else. And that's the way they're going. Living in their little sarcophagus in their little burial chamber. That's the way it's supposed to be. Problem is, that's pretty contrary to what God decided for those he calls. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram. Now, God had not spoken to anybody for thousands of years to our knowledge. Last time he talked to somebody was Noah. Uh, by, I mean, there had to be a big gap between Noah and Abram because the world had to repopulate. I don't know how long it takes to do that, but it's kind of going to be a while. So it's been thousands of years since God shows up, and he shows up to a guy named Abram, and he says this, Leave your country. Leave your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, why did he say that? We'll say, well, God wanted them in the promised land. Well, there was no promised land yet. That's not for, for a little ways down the, 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 the story. There's no holy land yet. Why couldn't God just have claimed Ur over Mesopotamia? Why couldn't he just claim that as the holy land? The, what God wanted with Abraham, what he wants for everybody he calls, and Abraham was the first... I know I'm going to give somebody say this is not technically true. I know that. I know, I know that. But he's really the first Christian... He's the first individual that God called into personal relationship with him. He's the father of faith, anyway. And so for every individual that God calls through faith, he calls them to go because he wanted Abram to leave his father's family, his father's home, that culture. Every, his, Abram's life was wrapped up with, with everything he was doing here. It was all about himself and this and that. And this was the way it was supposed to be. And God said... I don't want to be a spoke on the wheel. I'm the hub. And so you need to get out of that. You need to leave that. And Abraham had to leave uh, literally. We, we leave metaphorically. But the leaving has to, has to happen. So God says, go. And then he says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. It's, 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 it's interesting to notice that God called Abraham out. God was going to bless him, but there was a reason why God blessed Abram. So Abram could have a blast through life? No, it doesn't. So he would be a blessing to other people. We could find out down the road. He'd be a blessing to the whole world. He was, we say this, blessed to be a blessing. God calls everyone he calls through Christ today to go. And be a blessing. Go and bless. Go and bless others. That's what, not go and stay and hang out, but go and be a blessing. Think of, of Isaiah. When Isaiah is listening into a conversation God is having with some angels, and God says, who will go for us? And, 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 and Isaiah says, ooh, 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 send me. Here I am, send me. Can I go? And God says, yeah, okay. Go and be a blessing to these people. You're going to preach to these people. Some of it's going to be judgment, but preach to these people. Jonah, he looks at Jonah, remember, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go 
and preach. I want you to share a message. I want you to, it's going to be a message of judgment, but a message of hope that will result in an entire revival of a whole nation for Christ. You're going to bless these people. Jonah, go and bless. And Jeremiah, I love this. With Jeremiah, it says, Before I knew you, in the, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's just, that's wild concept. Isn't that wild? It's Jeremiah 1 4. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I, I, I know what I had. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah puts on the brakes like so many of us. Whoa, hang on, hang on. I can't do this. I'm too young, is what Jeremiah says. And God comes back and says, Do not say I'm just a child, because everywhere I command you, you must go. And what I tell you, you must say, you must bless these people. Jesus, Matthew 28, ready? He's ready to leave. And he takes all of his disciples and he says what? He says, go and bless. Make disciples. Tell these people these great stuff about me. Go, bless. That's his plan for us. I remember when I came to know Christ, I was eight, won a club. And I heard the gospel first. I, I probably heard it my whole life, but for some reason it just didn't click because my mom raised me in the church. But that night, it clicked. I thought, oh, Jesus died in my place to take away my sins so I could go to heaven? This was great news. So I remember I got, I got home, and as much as an eight-year-old kid could do, I believed. I had strong faith. Lord, thank you for dying for me, and here's my life, and take my sin, and I'm yours, and I get to go be with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was so pleased. But that's how I lived for about the next four years, and then somebody shared with me, "Mm, that's good. Jesus is looking forward to spending eternity with you in heaven. That's true. But he's got something for you right here, right now. He wants you to go. He wants to go with you. You've got an adventure going on. He's got, he wants to use you. I thought, wow, he wants to use me? Yes, every, every one of us. Maybe you've got that same thinking. You're growing to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. That's wonderful. That's great. But you, no one has ever told you about the fact that he's got something for you to do now down here. Every person he calls, that's his plan. He tells us in 1 Peter 4, this is the way he says it here. Each of you, that if you know Christ, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You might say, well, hey, what does this mean, this whatever gift you have received to serve others? I'm going to give you several dots. We'll put them together towards the end. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. But now to each one of us, if you know Christ, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. You've been given the manifestation of the Spirit. For crying out loud, what is that? That's a big thing, manifestation of the Spirit. It's how the Spirit is manifested in you for the common good. We call this spiritual gifts. Now, maybe you've never heard this before, spiritual gifts. But when you come to know Christ, here's how this works. When you come to know Christ, a lot of things transpire at that point. Your sins are forgiven. They're cast away as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that all things are made new. You are adopted into God's family. You, you're, you're, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit. He comes, makes his abode within you. You may not feel anything. It may not give you any levitation stuff or anything. But he comes and makes his abode in you. And he gives you a special gift. Uh, this is what spiritual gifts are. It's a supernatural ability or... 
a supernatural energizing of a natural ability that's needed to accomplish the mission that Christ gave his church. Now, just look at that one for a minute. And we'll get into a second as far as where we come up with all this. But this is really, really, really important. Don't, don't miss this. We say we're trying to build the spiritual kingdom. We say we're in spiritual warfare sometimes. We want to see spiritual birth. We want to see spiritual growth. It's spiritual. It's in a different dimension. It's, it's something outside of the flesh. We cannot get there. We cannot make it happen with fleshly stuff. We have to have the spirit to make it work or it's just not going to work. And so he gives us manifestations of the spirit for the common good. He gives us our gifts in order to grow. Did you see? Remember Narnia? When they're all hanging out in Narnia and it's, and it's still snowing and, and then the, the snow starts to, to, to melt and Father Christmas comes, he's the Holy Spirit and he gives different gifts to the children, to Peter and, and Lucy. He gives them the gifts. It's, it's the spiritual gifts. You can't accomplish, we can't build the kingdom without these being energized. If these are not energized, if we're not using them, we can, this is a, we can play church but we'll never be building the kingdom. Never. These have to be energized. Now, th- think about these for a minute, kind of like a spiritual superpower. Okay, you've got uh, Captain America's got a shield, pretty cool shield. Thor's got a hammer, right? Uh, Spiderweb has got the web thing going. You know, the, the thing, he's kind of bulletproof. you you got... You got uh, well, Batman's got some cool gadgets. Um, your spiritual gift is this. It is a spiritual superpower. It's how God has planned for you to impact and build the kingdom. And if it's not being used, guess what's not happening? Humanly speaking, the kingdom is not being built because we can't build it just with fleshly stuff. Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts. We all have different ones. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, now look look at the way he says this. He's not trying to tell us what the gifts are. What's he trying to do here? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy for crying out loud. If it's if it's faith or if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Do the gifts you've been given. The gift. He. Why do you think he would say this to us? If just we're just going to do it, because we we probably won't. Because we may have the tendency, the propensity to not energize those gifts. And so God, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, reminds us we've been gifted. Use it. Use it. To not use it is disobedience. It's disobedience. It's a, it's a superpower. Let me, let me get to this Romans 12. Because you say, well, what are the gifts? Look, look at the, look at the, the, the text for a second. He says, prophecy, if it's prophesying, if it's serving, if it's teaching, encouraging, it's contributing to the needs of others, it's giving, if it's leadership, showing mercy. Listen, there are four places in Scripture there are lists of gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that's easy enough, two 12s. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4, 
in 1 Peter 4. There are different gifts out there. Uh, there are, if you looked at all the lists and you put them together, you get like 17, 18 different gifts. Um, and you would include, other than what's here, there are things like shepherding, evangelism, administration. There are even some miraculous gifts mentioned. You say, whoa, that's kind of cool. What's the, tell me about the miraculous gifts. We always want to know about the miraculous gifts, right? Well, there's like healing and there's miracles. And you might say, well, I'll tell you what. If I had one of those babies, if I had the gift of healing, I'd be at the hospital on a regular basis. I would be using that gift. You better know it. Or if I had a gift like, uh, you know, it's a big gift. It's like a, a Bill Gaither gift or Stephen Curtis Chapman gift or a, a David Crowder gift. I'd be using that. Oh, man, sign me up. I'm going on tour. You know I'd be using it. But when I look at my life, I wonder, maybe the Holy Spirit kind of missed me. Maybe uh, he ran out, or uh, if I've got one, it's just way down there. You need to know that the vast majority of the gifts are not the big showy things. They're the more small things. And we say, oh, I didn't get a big one. I just knew it. And so our tendency is, this is human tendency, it's Christian human tendency, since I don't have the big one, I'm just, it's not important. I'm just not, it's just, it's just not important. I, don't, I, can, I can shelve that one for a while. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says, no. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 12. And he, he, this whole text is given to, to offset that argument. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Now, look at the picture he's going to paint here. It's kind of a gross picture. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for this reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for this reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... I mean, everyone wants to be the eye. What's the most beautiful part? It's the eyes. When you're talking to someone, you don't look at their feet. You look at their eyes. You look at the eye. I want to be an eye. Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God, look at this, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God knows exactly what he's gifted you with. It's for a good purpose. If they were all one part, where would the body be as it is? There are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Those are your private parts. We won't get into that, though, right now. Uh, while, our presentable, our unpresent, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, our, but God has combined the members of his body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Can you think, maybe in the body of Christ, 
You are the kidneys, you are the liver, you are the heart. And you're saying, you know what, because I'm not the eyes, because I'm not the part everybody sees, because I'm not, don't have a, I don't have a cool function, I'm just going to shelve it. I'm going to stop. Can you imagine? The heart of the body decided, I'm just going to stop. What would happen? The liver just decided, you know what, I'm just done. Forget it. I'm, 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 I'm going to go on sabbatical for a while. The whole thing shuts. The whole body dies. Not just that one piece isn't. The whole body dies. Did you, you see what he's, Paul's really going out of his way to say? You have a gift. And you have to energize it. Because if you don't, the whole body will suffer. You don't have the privilege of saying, well, it's just between me and God. No, the whole body will suffer. Now, this is humanly speaking. But it would seem to say that if the gifts are shelved and not being used, you know what? There are people who aren't being evangelized. There are people who need mercy who aren't receiving it. There are people who need to be taught who aren't being taught. There are people who need to be helped who aren't being helped. That God's kingdom is not being built. When we shall forget, that's what he's seeking to say. Now think of the, the human body, though, when, it's, when, when your body is operating the way it ought to. And maybe for some of you, you're going to have to think back, okay? But when it's operating the way it's supposed to, when you're completely healthy. This is, uh, I thought, found this fascinating. This is by a guy, uh, Dr. Medema. He's a genetic engineer from the University of Washington. Okay, so I can't vouch for what he's saying here, but he probably knows kind of what he's talking about. He's a genetic engineer at the University of Washington. But he says this. He says, The average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day. That's over 55 million gallons in a lifetime. That's enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps, beating 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. The lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated that it is more difficult to exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. I don't know how he figured that one out, but he's a genetic engineer at the University of Washington. I'm sure he's got this figure. DNA contains about 2,000 genes per chromosome. 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus. A nucleus is 6 microns long. This is like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. And it isn't simply stuffed in, it's folded in. If folded one way, the cell becomes a skin cell. If folded another way, it's a liver cell, and so forth. To write out the information in one cell would take 300 volumes, each volume 500 pages thick. That's one cell. The human body contains, and by the way, the human body has about 100 trillion cells in it. The human body contains enough DNA that if it were stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. The body uses energy efficiently. If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles per hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. The body that God created is fascinating. And when it's all working the way it's supposed to be working, nothing is more powerful. You can, you know this. If you're, you're in good shape, you can accomplish all kinds of stuff. And you know this for sure when you go down. 
Because when you go down, you're not accomplishing too much of anything. You're in survival mode. The body of Christ goes down. We're going to go into a spiritual coma. But when you are, are healthy, when the body is healthy, you can accomplish all kinds of stuff. Now, just imagine for a second that your body, your body, 43% of it shuts down. I mean, let's say 43% of your heart says, you know what, I'm just tired of beating the same old thing. I'm done. And what if 43% of your lungs say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not breathing anymore. Okay, I'm just going to hold my breath, see how long it works. And let's just say that 43% of all your capillaries and blood vessels just stop. We're just done. We're just not moving. 43% of your vocal cord shuts down. 43% of your, your brain, the part you used to think, the part that you actually use, 43% of that shuts down. How healthy do you think you could possibly be? We did our church survey about a month ago, whenever it was. 43% of the body said they don't serve. How healthy? Now, for sure, there are times when... We have to take ourselves out of the game. We've got to go. We've got, we've got family issues. We have to focus on. We've got a health issue that's we just have to focus on. That's the, the right thing to do. There's some crisis that comes up, and there are times we have to back away. But biblically, those should be very, very rare, and very, very far between. But but we're masters at at, at excuses, right? Not feeling good. So, General uh, William. Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, at one point he went blind. And his son, Bromwell, was given the wonderful task of sitting down with his dad, uh, General Booth, and explaining to him that he's, his eyesight is gone and not coming back. And in the conversation, the general says, do you mean that I'm blind? And Bromwell says, I, I hear that we must contemplate it. Booth says, I shall never see your face again? Rommel answers, No, probably not in this world. After a, a, just some quiet, General Booth speaks up and he says, Bromwell, I have done what I could for God and his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and his people without my eyes. You know, you, you listen to that. You go, No wonder God used this plain guy to... to Bring about the Salvation Army. What incredible dedication and commitment and faith. We have a gift. We are to, to use it for his kingdom. We are to, to uh, energize it. If we don't, we'll suffer. And you might say, well, hang on, hang on. I don't know my gift. And let's face it, if I don't know my gift, I can't really, really use it, can I? I mean, if, if I don't know it. Well, a couple things. First of all, we're going to have a class in, in, in next month. It'll be two weeks in, in March, a uh, seminar to help you ascertain, discern, work through spiritual gifts. But you need to know that you really don't need to know your gift. Do you, do you know that you are never commanded in Scripture to know what your spiritual gift is? It's not a command. Do you know that there are four places in Scripture that the gifts are listed, but not a single one is listed so that you and I might understand and know what the gifts are? Every single time, and this is kind of sad, but every single time they're listed, it's in the context of 
the church is in disunity, the church is not loving, and so Paul or Peter is arguing, use your gift, don't sit on the, on the side, don't be angry or, or too busy, or be wrapped up in yourself, use it, employ your gift, whatever your gift is, employ it, that's the idea. So there could easily be more gifts out there than what this would, would mention, what the Holy Spirit would, would choose, what he would decide. Um, I think the way the spiritual gifts work, if I understand scripture, is when you come to know Christ, God takes everything you are. He takes your personality that he gave you, by the way, that didn't just happen because your parents were so-and-so or because of you know, evolution or anything. He takes your natural gifts, which, if I'm not mistaken, he gave you. Psalm 139 says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you exactly how you, he wanted you to be. And he, the limitations you have, guess who gave you those as well? God gave you those. He takes uh, your education, your experience that God in his providence and his sovereignty has led you through. He takes your hurt and your pain. He takes your passion, you know, that thing that breaks your heart. And then, and then he takes all of that and he gives you a, a special gifting, uh, spiritual gifting. And then he mixes it all up. We, we just want to divide stuff so much in the West. He mixes it all, all up so that you are an a incredibly unique individual in Christ because no one has your experiences that you have. No one has got the gift that you have the way you have it. It's not like, well, it's just one of 2,000 teaching gifts. No, 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 no. Everybody will teach different according to where they've been and what's going on in their life and where their passions and hearts are and how God has wired them. So God, God takes all of that and then he says, I want you to, to, to use this. Now, now, how are we supposed to use our gift? First, first Peter 4 says, now each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. In other words, this is a stewardship, which means this. Which Stewardship will always mean this. God has given us something, and one day there will be an accounting process. One day he will hold us accountable for what we did with what he gave us. He did not give us these things for us to wrap ourselves up with and use just for ourselves. Oh, no, no, no for his kingdom. Can you imagine how terrible is it to think that God went to all this work, I know you can't use kind of terms like that with God, but God went to all this work to pick out a special gift in history and, and everything for you so that you could use for his kingdom and then you just kind of shelf it and you don't use it. There's a stewardship. But then also notice what it says. That each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, and what he's going to do here is he's going to break down the gifts into two categories. And basically all the gifts can be broken down into two categories. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Teaching, prophecy, exhortation, encouragement, counseling, administration, helps, mercy... Just about all the gifts can be broken down into two categories. And so Peter looks at both categories. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. This is how you should, this is how you should use your speaking gift. As if you were 
speaking the words of God as if God was right there, as if you were representing him, as if you were his ambassador. This is not one of those things, yeah, I'll just kind of study on my way to the class and then I'll teach the kids. This is a thing where this is a, a sacrifice that you are giving to him. This is serious business. If anyone serves, you do it, should do so with the strength that God provides, not leaning into your flesh, leaning into him. Uh, my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Coyer, uh, dear Mrs. Coyer, uh, was probably, I don't know, 10. Uh, Doug Horn and I, two boys in her class, she only had two of us. Uh, and Doug always wore mirror shades so he could sleep in class. And then I, I, was, I, was, I didn't, couldn't, didn't have mirror shades, but I, I tried to stay awake. And she would read her lesson, and Mrs. Coyer was not the most dynamic teacher in the world. But you know what? Every once in a while she would say something, and I'd go, huh. Huh. And the spirit would, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm in my uh, hospital room when I was 12. It was the only, only time I'd been in the hospital. I hadn't been in the hospital before this, this point, but I got pneumonia. And either they didn't have children's hospitals way back then or, or they didn't have one my neck of the woods. So I'm, I'm in this, this very scary adult hospital room and hospital swing and everything else as a little boy. The only one that came to see me was my Sunday school teacher. I don't even know what his name is today, but I can picture him. I can picture him walking into my hospital room, giving me a purple layman's parallel Bible. And I was, that made such a huge impact on me. I don't know if I goofed around in this class or not, but my goodness. Frank Swan gave up every Thursday night for Bible quiz practice. And he would meet, you know, the guy had a life. But he gave it up for us kids so he could teach me to memorize God's word. And he could hold me accountable for memorizing God's word. And I wanted to go to, that, to memorize God's word because of Frank. And I wanted to, partially because he had a real cool 67 Mustang that he would give us a ride in if we did our stuff well. But I knew that, that uh, God's word was powerful. Because of, of Frank, you can't think my class is little, no one's paying attention, no one cares. Maybe you got the next Billy Graham in that class. And even if not, maybe you've got the angels and the demons watching what you're doing. So if you get in that class and you're kind of like, oh, blah, 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 hell's cheering and heaven's crying. We do this so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. This is why we don't do this because it makes me feel good, because I get some uh, kudos out of it, anything else. We do this so that God will be praised. That's why we serve. That's why we, that's why we do it. And we're, we're great with the uh, excuses. I know that uh, Exodus 3 and 4, God comes to Moses. Remember this? And Moses is hanging out in the desert, and God says, Moses, what God always says, I want you to go and bless. He says, go back to Egypt and bring the, my people out. Bless them. Now, lest you think that God will call you to do something that he hasn't equipped you for, please put that thought out of your mind, because God does not do that. He knew what he was going to ask Moses to do, and that's why Moses... 40 years earlier, was in Egypt. Moses was raised and grew up in the palace. Moses knew the crannies and the nicks and, and the, the, the secret passageways. Moses knew the language and Moses knew the, the culture. And why do you think Moses could just walk into Egypt, a shepherd from the desert, and walk into the palace and walk right up to Pharaoh? I mean, do they have poor security in Egypt or what? How did Moses, how was he able to pull that off? 
because Moses and that Pharaoh grew up together. They were brothers. God knew this. God in his providence prepped Moses for this task. Moses probably didn't realize it at the point. But God said, Moses, I want you to go. I've been prepping you for this. Go. And I know it's in your heart because last time you were there, you tried to deliver them in your flesh. Not with the spirit. Didn't work, did it? But now I want you to go. And Moses did what you and I do. We're so good at this. Lots of excuses why I can't. Oh, you don't know my schedule. Oh, for crying. If you knew what I had to deal with in life, I mean, please. I mean, for crying, maybe an hour every seven months. I don't even know what you're talking about. We, we all, that's what Moses tried to pull on God. You know, I like the desert. It's cool. It's fun. I got it all figured out. My life is situated. I got a family. I got family responsibilities. You don't expect me to wipe those off. Come on, God. I, I can't do it. God said, Moses, I want you to go. So Moses said, well, what if they don't believe me? I'm just going to walk in there and say, hey, we should, i got a great idea. Slaves, let's leave Egypt. Yeah, sure, they're going to believe that. You know, what, what, what if they don't believe me? And God says, you tell them I sent you. Don't worry, i got this covered. He says, well, no, no, no. Hey, God, uh, you don't know, who am I? I mean, you don't, you know, I killed a man. You know, I've got some, I've got some baggage, God. I mean, I, who am I to do this? God says, you're the guy I picked. Go. Bless. And Moses says, well, God, you're asking for a speaking gift. I think I got one of those serving gifts. I don't think I got the speaking gift. And you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? I don't talk very well. And God said, Moses, who created your tongue? I did go. And finally, Moses just puts it down and says, I don't want to. Please send somebody else to do it. And God says, Moses, what are you holding in your hand? This is a shepherd's staff. To throw it down. And you know the story. throws it down. It becomes a snake. And God says, okay, now pick it up. And from that point on, it's called the rod of God. It's not a simple shepherd's staff. It's kind of like God's giving Moses a superpower. It's almost like God giving Moses a spiritual gift. And with the rod of God, you know what he can do? He can raise in, in the, the Dead Sea <laughs> parts. And he can hold it up in Egypt. And the plagues come. And God's saying, you know what? With the gifts that I've given you in my presence, because I will be with you, you can do this. Go bless. So let me ask you, are you going in blessing? Where? How? You, you got in your bulletin a Become Alive card. Can you pull that out for just a second? I want to run through this with you, because what I'm going to ask you to do is if you're... you're, you're not serving someplace. I'm going to ask you to, to check if you're serious and say, I can't, I don't know what I'm committing to. I just want some real information. I really am serious, though, about helping out. How can I help out? Children's ministry. Children's ministry. Uh, two main areas for our children's ministry Sunday school, Sunday morning, when they're here, and Tuesday night, Awana to memorize. And what they have listed here is so right because you, I don't care what your gift is, you can use it in children's ministry. I mean, whether it's, it's just listening to a kid quote, whether it's teaching, whether it's games, whether it's security stuff, you can do it. You can be used in children's ministry. I think this needs to be ramped up as we move into the future. I'm excited about Chris. What an incredible way to tell her, Chris, I'm not just behind you in words. I'm going to throw, throw it in. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to help you raise up another generation. Communications. 
Uh, you know the tech way the world is going. We are in desperate need of people who understand and know computer systems, people who understand graphic design, who can do those kind of things. If, if you are skilled in this, then, then check the communica- communications box because we could certainly use you. Interested in helping to build props uh, for the state up front. That would be wonderful. First impressions. I like first impressions because I don't care where you are or what's going on. Basically, whatever you, wherever you're at spiritually, this is a great place because you, you don't have to prep. You don't have to do any lesson planning. You come and you, 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 you greet people as they're coming in. You help usher them. You help make coffee for them if you are not necessarily need to be standing in and, and you're not a people person, you can be making coffee for them, parking lot people. Statistics tell us that when someone walks into the church or they walk into any, any church, within the first seven seconds, they will know if they're coming back or not. It is important that our first impression honors Christ. First impressions. You can be on a rotation. You don't have to necessarily do this every week. Helping hands in hospitality. This is great food ministry to people who are grieving or people who are going through some intense life stuff. You can minister to them. You can make the casserole at home and then bring it to their house. You don't necessarily have to come. It doesn't have to be a special night. This would be a great place where you could be involved. Life groups. Life groups would be for those who would um, feel perhaps uh, calling on their life to be a shepherd. I believe that our life group leaders are the pastors of this place. They, they get 10, 12 people, and they are the leader of their life group. If perhaps They don't necessarily have to teach. You can facilitate. But if, in fact, this might be kind of who you are, might be on your heart, you might be open to that. Check the life groups. Upper room ministry is our ministry to the homeless. Again, a food ministry to the homeless. Worship ministry. If you, and I, I know there are folk who are sitting on some music gifts. Uh, either vocals or instruments, and maybe you think they're too rusty, you can't do this anymore. Um, what, how about this? How about you let the guys you audition for tell you they're rusty and we're not, maybe you could do tech or something. Also, how about the tech? How about sound guys? Have you ever done that before? Or the lighting or the PowerPoint? We could use you. Would you check worship or youth ministry? I'll tell you, I, I did youth. I was a youth. When I was a youth pastor. My first year of a youth pastor, I got into it. I did not want to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be a real pastor. I didn't want to be a youth pastor, but I was too young. No one would hire me to be a real pastor. So that's the kind of thing you got to do. Got to go through this. So I sat down with the with the senior pastor. He was the real one, and I said, "Listen, okay, I'll do this youth thing, but but can I visit? And can you teach me to do hospital stuff and funerals and weddings? And, and that's that's what I want to do." He said, oh, "Okay, we'll make that work." Well, six months into this, you know what? I fell in love with the kids. I, I didn't think I loved students. And I didn't think that really that's what I really wanted to do. But I remember sitting back down with that senior pastor, the real pastor, saying, I don't want to be a real pastor. This is what God has called me. This is what I want to do. Uh, you might not know that that's where God has, what God has for you. You might not feel anything or think anything about it. But as you serve, you don't know what your gift is. Serve. You'll, you'll realize if you're really in the wrong place in a hurry. And you might find, too, that this is what God has for you. You know, there's, there's one more box. Uh, it, it's, it's not there. I need you to write it in. Just write a little box underneath youth ministry. And right next to it, upward. Upward is our, is our outreach to elementary kids. Yesterday, we had 250 kids here playing basketball. 
uh, vast, vast majority not from this church. And, and upwards, they're doing a great job, but you know what? They could use some coaches, and you don't have to be, you know, LeBron to be able to, to coach these guys. Uh, coaches, they can use, and then if you're scheduled, man, I, I can afford some time maybe on Saturday. Good. They are looking, that's when they play their games. They need scorekeepers. They need scoreboard operators. They need refs. They need uh, concession stand people. Uh, would you be open to helping them out? What an incredible, every one of those kids, think about 250 of them. Have 200, that's 250 families. Many of them don't know Christ. They are, we're connected with them. If we don't take advantage of this opportunity, oh man, what an opportunity God has given us. So where are you serving? Are you energizing? Are you employing the gift? This should be like a, the, 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 the spiritual gift unemployment rate in this church should be like next to zero. We should claim the church, our hearts, as mummy-free zones. It's not going to be what we're what we're about where where are you at and i'm going to i'm going to pray but then we'll, we'll take the offering but when the offering plate comes by you can just put your card in the in the plate